Hello and welcome to Take My Advice, I'm Not Using It. My name's Ollie Henderson and this is episode number 19 of my Work Life Podstorm. Thank you for the thousands of you who have already listened and the many of you who have given me feedback along the way. I am looking forward to getting to the end of the month and being able to have a single morning where I'm not having to record and edit a podcast. But nonetheless, I have enjoyed reading back on some of the newsletters I wrote last year and recording them for your listening pleasure. So today I recall a newsletter which I wrote back in October 2020. It was uh, in the midst of a few back problems which didn't seem to go away and hence why I was taking so many prescription drugs. I reflect on a newly discovered ponchon for napping during the middle of the day and I must be honest it's a habit I have now established much more regularly partly because of its effectiveness partly because I've got a two-year-old who doesn't sleep through the night. Before we move on to the newsletter titled Time for a Nappuccino if you're enjoying these podcasts and make sure you check out my newsletter, Future World Life, on Substack. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Margaret Thatcher. Two words that tend to elicit strong and divergent feelings among British people of a particular age. Wherever you sit on the political spectrum, however, it's fair to say that she's unlikely to frequently feature in your daydreams, which is why this week's been a strange one. Whereas last week I had Pete Campbell stuck in my mind. This time it's Maggie's turn, dangling in my subconscious like a gangly spitting image puppet. Why that shocking image, you ask? A heady mix of sleep deprivation caused by sciatica, and with that ironically a lack of actual dreams, medicated with a cocktail of prescription drugs. Indeed, I may look back on this newsletter in a few weeks and wonder why on earth I wrote it. In the spirit of mastermind, though, I've started so I'll finish. My thoughts over the past few days have inevitably focused on how to mitigate a lack of sleep and still maintain not just my sanity, but a high level of performance at work. Something for which Thatcher was, of course, famous, hence the reference in case you were wondering. The received wisdom is that sleep, along with a healthy lifestyle, are critical components not just for a positive mindset, but also to achieve success at work. The thing is, as with most parents of young kids, my default setting is extreme tiredness, so this kind of talk has always concerned me. And this week's 3am starts have taken things to another level. Here are three things I've learned during those periods of child slash pain-induced nights of interrupted sleep that have helped me and may help you. Number one, there's no glory in not sleeping. While you can get away with a lack of sleep by switching on for individual meetings and work interactions, it does leave you co- cognitively impaired, which increases the chances of making mistakes and producing lower quality work in the long run. As Amy Gordon and Christopher Barnes wrote in the Harvard Business Review, although our sleep tends to happen at home, we bring the consequences of poor sleep into the workplace too. Leaders who report sleeping worse tend to engage in more abusive behaviour towards their employees, such as yelling at them in front of their colleagues, and have damaged relationships with those employees. Sleep-deprived leaders are also less charismatic and generally less effective in their leadership roles. Research indicates that overall, businesses benefit when employees are well rested. So during those periods where lack of sleep is unavoidable, try the following. As far as possible, stick to more routine tasks, rather than those that require creativity and innovation, which are more vulnerable and likely to lead to poor decision making. Explain the situation to friends and colleagues. You don't need to bore them with it, but most people understand and are willing to help out and share the load. Plus, This is the sign of a great team, one that works together during both great and more challenging times. 
Lean on the advice of others to sanity check your ideas. Perhaps something I should have done before writing this newsletter. Number two, the amount of sleep you get is important cumulatively, but you don't have to get it all in one go. In his book, Wild Nights, Benjamin Reese wrote, Sleep is both a universal need and a freely available resource for all societies and even species. So why is it the source of frustration for so many people today? Why do we spend so much time trying to manage it and medicate it and training ourselves and our children how to do it correctly? And why do so many of us feel that despite all our efforts to tame our sleep, it's fundamentally beyond our control? End quote. He believes the issues result from our obsession with the concept of a good night's sleep, which conflict with many people's natural circadian rhythms. When we don't get our eight hours, suddenly this creates anxiety, thus reducing our chances of sleeping well the next night, a vicious circle. The truth is, the body is very resilient and can cope well with periods of little sleep. However, it's essential to allow yourself the time where possible to make a dent in that deficit. Which takes me on to number three, napping is the way forward. Despite my best efforts, I have historically never been a napper. However, I've recently introduced a daytime sleep into my life wherever possible. One advantage of lockdown and the gradual increase in the number of days I work from home is my proximity to a bed. It's been my saving grace over the past couple of weeks because although it can't replace the total number of hours lost at night, it gives me a sufficient boost to get through the afternoon productively rather than just clinging on for dear life. I followed Dan Pink's Nappuccino technique the trick of which is to limit sleep to no less than 10 minutes and no more than 20. Also, immediately preceding the nap with a coffee or a cup of tea gives you a double kick when you wake up, as the caffeine takes around 25 minutes to kick in. Lunch, read, coffee, sleep, wake up, bang, away we go. Thankfully, we've moved largely on from employees considering taking a break at work time theft. Why not now encourage people to take a power nap where appropriate? After all, it's proven to have positive effects on alertness and clear thinking that lasts nearly three hours. Sleep is turning into big business with significant moves into the space by big tech businesses like Apple, Google, who own Fitbit, and the founders of Twitter, who have invested in Aura, a sleep ring. As an article in The Economist suggested, it's hardly surprising that techies are not getting enough sleep given the industry's culture of long hours and the widespread notion that for a true entrepreneur, everything else in life is secondary to succeeding at work. The enthusiasm for sleep tech also fits a larger pattern of using technology to fix problems that the industry itself has created. Is your smartphone too addictive? Here's an app to help you monitor and track your usage. Are the streets of your city clogged with Ubers? Try an electric scooter instead. Seen this way, the embrace of sleep tracking is an indictment of the whole culture. It tackles the symptoms of sleep deprivation, but not the disease. So many areas of our work lives are rapidly changing. Let's reconfigure our attitude to sleep too. As Alex Sujung Kim Pang wrote in his first book, Rest, why you get more done when you work less. If you want rest, you have to take it. You have to resist the lure of busyness, make time for rest, take it seriously and protect it from a world that is intent on stealing it. I hope you've enjoyed listening and I hope you get a good night's sleep. See you tomorrow.